Bible reading today is from Acts 1, verses 6 to 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And together we pray, Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Killed everyone. Uh, good morning. Oh, come on. <laughs> uh, it's great to be here with you all this morning. Um, and you, uh, you might have thought this morning that you have just signed up for uh, a sermon on Acts. And you have. There will be a sermon on Acts, so I can assure you that. Uh, but you've actually signed up for so much more because uh, this morning I want to welcome you to the very niche, the very spiritual uh, Matt Maslin Christian Holiday Power Rankings. Let's not all clap at once, please. I said, let's not all clap at once, please. <coughs> I said, let's not all clap at once, please. <laughs> uh, so in first place, uh, we have Christmas. Uh, pros of Christmas. God enters onto the stage of human history. It's pretty good. General feelings of joy and festivity. Uh, excess scorched almonds. Um, I'm genuinely not sure I have a scorched almond outside of December. Uh, spiritualized gluttony. Uh, because when else can you turn uh, gluttony into a spiritual practice? Uh, cons, Links Africa gift packs from your auntie. Um, a con because it smells like the devil, but also you've still got your three sets from last Christmas. Uh, also, I wonder if there are kids in Africa who get Links Europe from their aunties, but uh, anyway. Uh, Christmas mince pies, uh, which are a dry abomination attempting to be rehydrated by Raisins, of all things. Uh, Michael Bublé can't stand them, and it's expensive. Uh, so I've given Christmas a solid four and a half newts out of five. <laughs> four and a half newts out of five for Christmas. Uh, second place, we have Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection Sunday. So pros, uh, God overcomes death and opens the possibility of hope in a redeemed world. That's pretty good, right? Solid amount of carbs as well. Easter buns, resurrection buns, lots of buns. He has risen, and so has my cholesterol. Uh, you don't have to visit extended family, which for some of you, that's a con, uh, but most of you aren't from gore like me, uh, although a surprising amount of you are. Uh, cons, uh, when is it going to be? Who knows? It changes every year. I, I um, lose track of it. Uh, the Easter bunny is kind of freaky. Um, I don't know who came up with the idea of a mammal that presumably lays foiled-covered chocolate eggs, but that doesn't, that doesn't sit right with me, you know? Uh, and it's mostly a morning-based celebration, which I'm really not sure I can get behind. Still a solid Christian holiday. This one gets four newts out of five from me, just the four, though. 
Third place, we have Good Friday. Uh, pros, great pro. Uh, God connects with the deepest parts of human suffering and submits himself to the darkest powers of the world in order to overcome them, which is pretty great. Also, great way to end the working week on a Friday. Uh, cons, a bit gory, isn't it? Kills the vibe. Mel Gibson, I got a whole year not thinking about Mel Gibson, and then uh, every Easter, there he is again. Um, anyway, so Good Friday gets 3.5 um, newts, or three newts it looks like, out of, out of 10. Uh, and look, I don't actually have the time this morning to go through the whole uh, liturgical calendar uh, and rank them, rank, rank them using a newt system, the newt metric system. I think that's going to stick, eh? Um, so let's just skip right to the bottom of the power rankings where we have the ascension. Uh, the ascension expects very little of you. You don't have to rush out and go buy a ascension card from the supermarket. This one really flies under the radar. Uh, Roswell vibes. If you're into alien abductions, then this feels loosely related. Uh, cons. No one actually celebrates it. Uh, well, actually, no, that's not true. Uh, Phil Halstead told me that in Germany, uh, people do celebrate it. They get a day off, and they eat sauerkraut. But to me, that just sounds like that could be any day in Germany, so I don't, I'm not sure I'd buy that. I'm not sure I'd buy that. Uh, no one knows what it is, or at least um, maybe you've heard of it, but we don't often reflect on, uh, on its meaning. Uh, it's certainly not as much as we do with other parts of Jesus' life and ministry. So the ascension, uh, for me, just gets the two newts out of five, just the two newts out of five, because uh, ascension by far is the least understood and most under-celebrated event in the life of Jesus. And I want you all to be very honest with me now, be honest Christians. Raise your hand if you genuinely knew it was ascension day on Thursday. Mm, a couple of you. And uh, keep your hand raised if you celebrated that. Okay, cool, cool, cool. You see, this, this, uh, this reality makes theologians very, very sad. Very, very sad. So let's, um, let's listen to some sad theologians and biblical scholars. Uh, Patrick Schreiner, he says, Debates have typically centered on what Christ's death accomplished and whether the resurrection is historically verifiable. Meanwhile, the ascension sits at the end of the couch, completely ignored. Oh. Michael Bird says... The ascension is the poor cousin in the family of the work of Christ. These theologians are really stretching their capacity to make good analogies here. Um, but evangelicals celebrate Christmas and Easter, sometimes even Pentecost, but Ascension, um, ascension Sunday is pretty much a non-starter in the evangelical liturgical calendar. And Marva Dawn says, The doctrine of the ascension has become an enigma, if not an embarrassment. These theologians um, are very sad, and they're lamenting the neglect of the ascension because it is, in reality, one of the most uh, significant moments in the life and ministry of Jesus, and one that has huge implications over our spiritual life today. Listen to what our namesake, uh, St. Augustine, says about the ascension. He says, The ascension is that festival which confirms the grace of all the festivals together, without which the profitableness of every festival would have perished. And what Augustine is suggesting here is that the ascension is that on which everything else hinges, that the incarnation, life, death, resurrection would actually cease to be profitable to humanity without the ascension. 
So uh, what is the ascension, and what difference should it make in our lives as we try and uh, participate in this revolution that Jesus has unleashed on creation? As we heard in today's text, 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus is with the disciples, and he physically leaves the disciples. He doesn't go to the dairy. He takes off into the sky, up beyond the clouds, and he's gone. Our encounter in Acts doesn't go too much into where Jesus is going, but um, we just hear that he's going to heaven. But later in Acts 2, we hear the clarifying statement that Jesus has actually gone to the right hand of the Father. And this royal language is, um, this is royal language, and it's suggesting that Jesus' ascension isn't merely about him moving upwards or towards a location, but rather that he has ascended to a throne to rule over the cosmos, that Jesus is essentially having a coronation ceremony in front of the disciples, demonstrating that he's going to take up rule and power in a new way. Jesus is showing the disciples that his rule is being established, and he's ascending to the throne to be at the right hand of the Father. But even still, what does the ascension actually mean for us? Well, first of all, the ascension uh, draws us into the life of God. And and perhaps a a helpful way to contrast uh, the ascension is with the incarnation. While the incarnation is about Jesus like reaching into the depths of humanity, taking on all of human experience, describing even the hell of humanity, descending into the hell of humanity, the ascension is Jesus pulling us back and drawing us back into the life and presence of God. God entered the life of humanity, And now humanity is entering the life of God. While in the incarnation, Jesus experienced the full breadth of human experience um, in existence, in the ascension, Jesus pulls our humanity, uh, joins with Jesus into his presence and into the presence of the Father. So that when we experience human things, when we experience suffering, when we experience brokenness, when we struggle, it never happens outside the presence of the Father. Because Christ has drawn us into his presence through the ascension. I've got a um, 10-month-old girl called Piper. She's at the back. She's the one who looks like a Smurf. I don't know why I dressed her that way. That's what I went with. Uh, And she is a crazy, crazy child. Um, Her preschool teachers have said that she has the terrible twos under one, which... um, I'd be mad at them for saying that, but they're not lying at all. She is uh, fiercely independent and loves to discover and explore things on her own terms. Uh, But she's also full of joy and laughter, as you can probably (laughs) hear right now. Um, Piper learned to walk a few weeks ago, um, which we weren't expecting, uh, and now I spend most of my time chasing her around. And something I've quickly discovered um, that she loves to do is to uh, use her head to break her fall. Um, and embarrassing, the other week she had three lined bruises on her forehead, um, each from hitting her head in the same place on the same thing on three separate occasions. So now when she falls, um, or is about to fall into something, I find myself doing, um, and maybe you've, you, you do this yourself or you've, you've seen this happen, the universal paternal swoop where you reach out and you pull uh, your child back into you. Um, And it's this reaching out and scooping up um, that is happening in the ascension, where where with Piper, you know, I'm reaching out to rescue her from danger, and I'm scooping up, and then I'm bringing her back into the safety of my loving presence. 
And in the, it's, uh, the ascension is this motion of God drawing us back into the loving presence of the Father. God doesn't just enter our humanity. He doesn't just rescue us from danger, but he actually draws us back into his loving presence to restore and redeem us. Uh, next, I would say the ascension establishes universal presence. You could be under the impression that the ascension indicates the absence of Jesus' presence. It seems that through the ascension that Jesus is going away. You almost hear the, the panic in the, the, in the disciples when they say, um, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? What they're wanting him to do is finish his job before he goes away. They worry that if he leaves, he won't be able to accomplish what they want him to do. <clears throat> But instead, Jesus promises that with, with the power of his spirit, that <clears throat> they will go to the ends of the earth. <clears throat> you see, for the disciples, if they wanted to be in Christ's presence, they had to physically follow him around. But actually, the ascension marks the function of Christ's presence in a powerfully new way. Uh, Pete Gregg puts it this way. Christ's ascension means that he, who was once taught, at one time in history, somewhere on earth for something or other, it's now everywhere, everywhere for everyone forevermore. <clears throat> so in reality, the goodbye of the ascension actually becomes a greater hello. Ben Myers puts it this way. When the New Testament writers speak of the ascension, they are not describing Jesus' absence, but his sovereign presence throughout creation. He's not gone away, but has become even more fully present. His ascent <coughs> to the right hand of the Father is his public enthronement over all worldly power. I love this work of art done by the Aboriginal artist Shelley Perdue uh, because it communicates this paradox of how in the ascension there is actually presence, that Jesus is not fleeing our world but entering into the depths of it in order to exercise his loving authority um, over and within all of creation. Ron Williams, a very good Anglican, uh, puts it this way. He says this, Jesus hasn't gone away. He has gone deeper into the heart of reality, our reality and God's. He has become far more than a visible friend and companion. He has shown himself to be the very center of our life, the source of our loving energy in the world. <clears throat> and the source of our powerful, trustful waiting in God. Now, if you want to be in the presence of Christ, you don't have to follow Jesus around Galilee. God has broken down the restrictions of time and space and is now powerfully present to all who call on him. The question of the ascension isn't where is Jesus, but where isn't Jesus? And this signals a shift from Jesus' powerful earthly ministry um, to his powerful ministry through the church. And so the revolution of God's kingdom is unleashed, not by us merely trying to emulate someone who lived 2,000 years ago, but it's designated in the hearts of his people through this power of his spirit. Next, I would say that the ascension establishes the rule of Christ. The ascension establishes the rule of Christ, and Christ invites us to co-rule with him as well. When Jesus goes to the right hand of the Father, he also draws us in with him so that we rule with Christ. Listen to what Ephesians 2, 6 says. God raised us up with Christ 
and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. What does this mean? Well, it means that Christ is the kind of king that shares his power with his people. This is not normal kingly behavior. Kings hold on to power and to rule. I can't be trusted to even run a, the bank in Monopoly. Um, I turn into a menace that holds on to power for dear, dear life. But not Jesus. He's the kind of king who shares his power with his people. Jesus unites himself with humanity and gives us the dignity to have true causal power in the cosmos to bring about God's kingdom with him. I think about a lot about um, the kids I used to work with in the Salvation Army in Christchurch. Uh, and one of them, um, who I'll call Ryan, especially plagues my mind. Uh, I mentored Ryan, who was about nine years old at the time, um, before the funding for my program ran out. And um, Ryan was a uh, deeply troubled and neglected child. Despite being um, nine years old, he was developmentally delayed and uh, sometimes would soil himself at school, um, which would cause all kind of social issues, as you can imagine. <coughs> One day, I, I noticed he wasn't connecting with me as he normally did and um, found out that his mother had actually been uh, selling or taking his ADHD medication. I got called into um, a meeting one day to discuss the fact that they had found that the only thing he had in his lunchbox was a single can of beer. Um, the last time I saw Ryan, I wasn't working with him anymore, but I bumped into him at, a, um, at his new school. And he uh, ran up to me with a really disarmingly uh, chirpy look on his face and said, hey, Matt, did you hear about what happened to my mum? I said, no, tell me. And he said very plainly, Oh, she died in a house fire. And he was so blasé about it, I wasn't sure to believe him, and he did have a reputation for telling a lot of lies. Um, but on the way home, I drove past his house, uh, which I had visited a number of times, and saw the burnt-out remains of his home. Uh, Ryan's life was very hard, and it was full of bad news. And so when I think about the ascension, when I think about any theological doctrine, I go... What's the good news for him? Because if it's true for us, then it has to be true for him too. And I'd say this. Jesus not only wants to enter into his experience, but he wants to heal his hurts. Jesus not only wants to um, give him the divine I understand, but he wants to draw him into the life and love of God. <clears throat> he wants to clothe him with dignity and power and actually call him a king or a courier of the cosmos. Um, Jesus wants to rule with Ryan. Jesus wants Ryan to be glorified. And Jesus wants his kingdom to be a place where his church creates the material conditions where situations like Ryan never happen to anyone. A kingdom where heaven and earth intersect powerfully. <clears throat> That's the kind of king the ascended Christ is. Finally, I'd say that um, the ascension confirms a uniquely human kind of God. Perhaps the most quirky uh, aspect of the ascension is that Jesus remains a physical human as he ascends. And um, Christian doctrine holds that he's actually still a physical human being right now. So Jesus didn't just dissolve and dissipate into a spirit form over the earth, but remained truly human. <clears throat> N.T. Wright puts it this way, there is a human being at the helm of the universe. The Heidelberg Catechism declares, we have our own flesh in heaven. And one early church father said, now dust 
sits at the right hand of the Father. When we pray to the triune God, we are praying to a physical human being, the God-man Jesus. And beyond the weirdness of this claim of the ascended Christ um, being a physical human, the reality is that Jesus can truly empathize um, with our human situation, not just as a memory, but as a present mediating reality. That Jesus as a physical being paves the way to bring our whole selves into the transforming life of God. And while we often can encounter terrible forms of humanity, Jesus' humanity is a hope that um, humanity can actually be transformed and restored. He's the archetype of true humanity, and when we see that in Jesus, we can see that for ourselves as well. <coughs> um, the last few years have been pretty bonkers, right? <laughs> um, I'm not sure if you haven't noticed um, for individuals, for for families, for us as a church, Fano. Um, and what I'm trying to get across this morning is that the ascension is a theologically and spiritually deep well that we can be drawing from. And so I wonder this morning, what is it that you need from the ascended Christ? Maybe you're like me, you're a bit tired, you're exhausted, you feel a bit discouraged with life, that things aren't necessarily going how you planned or hoped. And so maybe what you need is to be drawn in by the ascended Christ into the loving arms of the Father. Maybe you've lost ambition. Maybe you're feeling apathetic or cynical about the church. Maybe what you need is a reminder that you rule with the ascended Christ. Christ has given you the power and dignity to enact his will in the world and that everything you should do should be shaped by this reality. Maybe you're struggling to believe that God actually knows you and relates with you and what you've gone through and are going through, and you feel like you can't engage with him in good faith, that God is removed from your humanity and your experience. Maybe you need a fresh encounter with the ascended Christ who is a human being at the helm of the universe, steeped in human experience, suffering, and can genuinely empathize with you. At the very least, um, my hope is that I've taken the ascension from two newts to three and that we can make the ascension great again. Let's pray. <laughs> what a way to finish. I totally regret doing that. I'm sorry. <laughs> God, we acknowledge that you are king, that you rule this world, that the world is securely in your hands and that you are guiding it to a good end. Um, but you're not... You're not a dictator. You actually want us to rule with you. Your kind of power is a different kind of power in the world. It's a sacrificial kind of power that brings life. God, for those of us who are tired, who feel run down, who feel um, broken, who feel like um, they're running on empty, God, I pray that this morning you would scoop them up and pull them back into your life and your love, that they would uh, feel the presence of a loving Father. God, um, we want to make a difference in this city. We want to, we want to transform the city. We want to be um, transformed ourselves, but we want to make a difference. And God, I just pray for your, um, your Holy Spirit to come across this community, that we would make a positive um, difference in this world, and that we would actually participate in this thing we're calling a revolution, which is the renewal of all things. We pray, come Lord Jesus. Amen.